0: join me in a spirit of prayer. May the meditation of my heart and mind and lips be in all ways acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Oh, for this wonderful day when we're back <laughs> in person, I wish I had a less intense piece of scripture. I'd like to have a little more fun with you all and rejoice in seeing you here in the pews. However, it's um, Jesus driving the money changers out of the temple. It's the Ten Commandments. And what this does is, for me, put us on the spot. Because God knows us. God is not fooled by us. God has plenty of experience with humanity and our ways. The divine knows what we will get up to if left to our own devices. If left to follow our lesser lights. So our God intervenes. In our readings today, God intervenes by gifting the people he delivered from Egypt with the Ten Commandments, also called the Ten Teachings. And God intervenes when Jesus cleanses the temple. This is the zealous God. The zealous God fighting for God's people. The zealous God is fighting to clear away every obstacle we put in our way. The key to this sermon is that in the Exodus passage where it's interpreted or translated as the jealous God, that same word in Hebrew can be interpreted as zealous God. This is a God who is passionate about an exclusive relationship with God's people. And out of that passion, our God fights for us, fights to preserve a right relationship with us. I want to explore this because this zealous God can be confusing for people. This angry Jesus with a whip can set people back. And for me, it's the difference between two ways of saying the same phrase. What are you fighting for? and what are you fighting for what are you fighting for is a question about purpose it's a pe- it's a question about commitment and objective you are fighting for a reason to achieve a goal because you are committed to some set of values or some group of people you are an advocate you are a impassioned worker for the liberation of others. What are you fighting for? The other question, which I've had directed at me more than once, what are you fighting for? Is more for the person who's just looking for a fight. We've all been that person, we've all met that person. The person who has a seething pot of anger inside and is looking for an outlet the person who is believing that an angry outburst will simplify and solve and clear up something that is causing uncertainty or anxiety, if I just fight, I can fix it. The problem is, is that the fighting becomes the answer. The fighting becomes what you believe in. It becomes the means to a false peace. We have to be careful with our fighting. In this atmosphere, many are attracted to fighting words and leaders who appear to be fighters Because it seems like a solution to the anxiety and perceived threats that surround. We must track our zealous God, our God who fights for us, to learn how this fighting spirit comes from love, comes from care. The gospel is different. And one of my great disappointments in the mass consumption Christianity of our moment is that it is missing the Paschal mystery, this fundamental teaching of Christ that we come to life through death and resurrection. We come to life by losing our life. It is in deconstructing our life that we find our life. And while the mass culture of Christianity tries to teach us to cling to our culture, cling to a way of life, cling to what we think preserves our status and privilege, the followers of Christ are invited to the passage of death and resurrection. The gospel embraces dismantling. It embraces deconstruction, the destruction of idols, and radical change for the sake of rebirth. The gospel is unsettling. It's as unsettling as Christ in the temple. With the Ten Commandments, God is showing that God knows God's people. God knows how we get up to things without God. And so God is clearing the deck of all the obstacles to a flourishing relationship with God. In fact, relationship is at the heart of the commandments. It's relationship to God, relationship to neighbor, relationship to our spouse, to our parents, to creation itself. Notice that on the Sabbath, all creation And all of our relations are allowed to rest. Doesn't that sound lovely? Every obstacle to right relationship, every false source of security that takes the place of God is cleared away. Those obstacles we erect by working too much, caring about our status too much, our reputation too much, our possessions too much. By giving in to our aggression, by devoting our lives to lesser objects and ideas, and all of our major compulsions are challenged by these Ten Commandments that are a gift that help us identify and step back from what gets in the way. God's giving us the gift of real talk I know how you are, says God. I know what you are capable of. Take a look in the mirror of this decalogue and cut it out. Get out of your own way. Get out of my way. And we can make something beautiful together. Our God is a zealous God. A God who fights to have a relationship with God's beloved people. And Jesus is that same zealous one, intervening, cleansing, removing obstacles that we put in the place of God, literally that we put in God's place, literally that take the place of God. Jesus wants us to have unobstructed access to God. The commerce in the court of the Gentiles is an obstacle to those non-Israelites who want to pray in the temple. They have lost square footage to the money changers. The commerce in the temple was recently moved there before Jesus by the high priest Caiaphas and marked yet another stage of compromise and corruption among those who appease Rome. Rome. There's a whole nother sermon here about that, about the good gift of religious institution being used to prop up corruption, prop up everything that opposes God. Coin changers were needed because Roman coins display an idolatrous image and idolatrous words. So the money changers are well-intended, but it's more complicated than that. The cash economy presents another layer of burden on the rural poor, like Jesus and his disciples, who face profiteering from money changers and animal merchants alike. They're not changing money and selling animals out of the goodness of their hearts, after all where the Torah made provision for the poor, and remember that Jesus and his parents took advantage of that provision, this cash commerce of the temple took away the hope of the poor. And Jesus will have none of it. None of it. He challenges that temple down to its massive foundation stones, not only is Jesus zealous for his father's house, he goes a step further. Jesus is his father's house. Jesus is his father's house. Recall that this is the Gospel of John, where early on But this is the gospel full of the I am statements. There's seven of them. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine to cite a few. And we know that when Jesus says I am, it's a not so subtle reference to the God of Israel who when asked God's name says I am that I am. These I am statements are theophanies, appearances of God. And here Jesus is saying, I am the temple of God. And not just that, I am the temple that is destroyed and raised. Jesus is the temple torn down and rebuilt. Jesus is the temple that is raised, R-A-Z-E-D, before it is risen. When we follow Jesus, we follow him into a way of dismantling. We follow him into the way of deconstruction. We enter a way that will not leave stone on stone. In Christ, we will be raised As we rise, we lose our life to find it. And how liberating, how liberating is this good news? Those Ten Commandments were given to a people liberated from enslavement, set free to be a people living life before God. The life lived before God that we see most clearly in our Christ God's ultimate intervention into our life. This is good news for all of us who have fallen apart and fallen down. Good news for all of us who have teetered on the wobbly foundations we inherited or tacked together the best we could with what we had at hand. It's good news for all of us who've gotten lost in defensive fortresses of our own making or fantasy castles of our own imagining. It's good news, it's hope, it's an invitation. And the invitation reads, let it all fall down and Jesus will be there to raise you up. Every obstacle will come down through the intervention of our God who is zealous for us. As Jesus cleanses the temple, so our souls will be cleansed. As Jesus is the temple, destroyed and reborn, so too our souls can pass from death to false self to a soul alive in God. Every idol will fall Every substitute for God will fail. Thanks be to God.